Okay. Well, once again, good morning, everyone, and um, great job. Can we uh, not only give it up for the mothers, but um, can we one more time just give it up to some of our graduates who uh, got to graduate yesterday? <laughs> Man, full of people who go to work in here, so it, it is good. And um, congratulations to you. We're excited for you. And um, for those of you I don't know yet, my name is Rollin, and I'm the lead pastor here. Um, <clears throat> what we've been doing, uh, just to jump right into it, is we've been going through a series um, the past several weeks where we have been talking about uh, rebuilding the altars in our lives, rebuilding a time of worship and a posture of worship in our lives so that everything that we do comes unto the glory of God and ultimately points to the glory of God. Now, this morning, um, just as much as it's Mother's Day, um, with the students graduating um, and, you know, the times and changing, we know that this is also a time of transition. And so this actually fits perfectly into the message this morning um, as we're sort of combining the two themes as we continue to go through the book of Ezra, because Ezra is a book that helped to the Israelites and the people of God today understand how we need to really rebuild altars in our lives, even in times of transition. And so if you were with us last week, what uh, Pastor Cole talked about was basically two men, two men that helped continue the rebuilding of altars in Israel. Um, One was a prophet named Haggai and another one named Zechariah. And their names and uh, even the meanings of their names were significant in helping to establish the Israelites and what they were doing. But um, today what we're going to talk about is the namesake of the book, uh, who is Ezra himself. We're going to progress and fast forward a little bit beyond uh, Zechariah and Haggai's ministry to Ezra's ministry. And he helped the Israelites continue to come into times of transition. But uh, today, uh, in honor of our Mother's Day theme, uh, the message is actually going to be called Lessons My Mama Taught Me, okay? <laughs> Lessons My Mama Taught Me, because I actually uh, am not able to be with her today, but thank God for FaceTime, right? Everybody say amen to that if you're away from your mama today, okay? Make sure you get on that phone, you know, and love on her and, you know, even press your face up against the phone. She'll caress it. And so the <laughs> thing is just be with your, your mom today. And so uh, lessons my mom taught me. And the two lessons today that uh, Ezra really exemplified in the times of transition for the Israelites were, number one, YOLO. Hashtag YOLO. Anybody know what hashtag YOLO is? Okay. Okay, for those of you who don't tweet, it is actually you only live once, okay? Hashtag YOLO, you only live once, so make each season count. That's the first lesson that my mom taught me. And then uh, number two is there's always room for you at the table. (laughs) And everybody said amen to that. (laughs) My mom could cook. Anyway, so there was always room for you at the table, and that's what Ezra exemplified in these times of transition. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into the Word of God. Father, thank you so much for your Word today. Thank you that you've given us a blueprint for rebuilding the altars in our life. God, we really want to be people who live lives worthy of the calling that you have upon us. And God, we're praying that regardless of how we've come in, whether we know Jesus yet or not, Father, we acknowledge that you're calling us to yourself. You're calling us to your table. You're calling us to reorder our lives in such a way that, God, we can remove distractions, we can remove fears, we can even remove and be freed from the things that were ravaging our lives and killing us. 
And God, we thank you that by the grace of God, you're calling us to a place where we can not only be called your children by your forgiveness and redemption from the cross, but God, that you also give our life purpose as we walk with you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so if you have a Bible today, turn with me to Ezra, Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7. Ezra chapter 7, starting out with the idea that you only live once, make each season count. Now, to give you a little bit of uh, background, if you've never read the book of Ezra before, again, uh, I'll do this in summary. What happened is that the Israelites, they were, after years of disobedience to God, finally taken into captivity, taken into captivity into a foreign land. And that's much like the captivity that everyone experiences in life, being divorced from or separated from the living God. We're slaves to sin. We're uh, receiving the repercussions of sin in our lives. Even if you've grown up in church, this is what we like to say, that everybody must be born again. Amen to that? Okay, it doesn't matter how you were born. It's like you were born into sin. And because you were born into sin, you've got to have a point in your life where you're making a decision to leave that life of slavery and be recreated by the Spirit of God into, and born into his kingdom where, in fact, you can be called his child. This is a parallel that we see in the Old Testament where they were thrown into slavery because of their disobedience, but after 70 years of captivity in Babylon, they were able to return to the land of promise, to the land of Israel, and start rebuilding the altars of worship within that place. Now, it took years, as Pastor Cole talked about, to rebuild those altars, literal years, um, to rebuild the temple of worship to God. Oftentimes people want to fast forward or just make their walk with God a quick thing. If I could just say a quick prayer, then all of a sudden I'll be completely new. Yeah, I mean, I'll be completely new. All the old things will fall away and all the things won't affect me anymore. But there is a big difference, as my friend and I were talking about this past week, between justification and sanctification. Okay, whenever you make a decision to follow Jesus, the good news is, is that in a moment, he justifies you, which means that because of his cross and his resurrection from the dead and the cleansing of his blood, what happens is he takes away all the guilt. He takes away all the shame. He forgives you because Jesus paid the price for you. And that's good news, right? That all of us can be reconciled with God in a moment. But then the rest of your life after that is a process called sanctification, where you're being made like Jesus and you're being set apart to him for his purposes. And that is in fact what the word holy means. As we cry out in worship, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The earth is full of his glory. What we're saying is that God, you are set apart. You are high and above everybody else and everything. And the reason that we worship you is because you're worthy of it. You're good. We take pleasure in bowing down and humbling ourselves before you because you are the one who, in fact, is worthy of such adulation and praise. But that's not just in the songs that we sing. It's the life that we set apart to him. And when we see the Israelites over years rebuilding the altars of worship, over years, 
believers rebuilding the temple where they were offering sacrifices, what we see is literally this lesson that they needed to, in the different seasons of life, involve themselves in actually giving themselves to greater devotion to God, greater worship of God, greater adoration of him through the lives that they were living. Many people, when they go on vacation nowadays, they say, we came, we saw, we conquered, right? Anybody ever gone on a like trip and like said, we came, we saw, we conquered? Okay, well, in the Israelites' participation of a building a life of worship, what they did is they built altars to offer sacrifices. They erected the temple through which they could worship God. And then finally, they taught the word of God through which they would develop the law, I'm sorry, a life of worship. And this is where we find Ezra today. So Ezra chapter 1 starts off this discussion. It says, now after this, after they had finally finished building the altars and the temple, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia, Ezra, the son of Sariah, son of Azariah, the son of Hilkiah, son of Shalom, son of Zadok, son of Ahitub, the son of Amariah, the son of Azariah, the son of Marioth, the son of Zerahiah, the son of Uzi, the son of Buki, the son of Mishi. No, I'm just kidding. All right, so listen. The thing is, okay, he's got his genealogy, all right? The son of all these people, skipping down, and the son of Aaron, the chief priest. This Ezra went up from Babylonia. He was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. And the king granted him all that he asked, for the hand of the Lord was on him. And there went up also to Jerusalem in the seventh year after Artaxerxes, the king, some of the people of Israel and some of the priests and Levites, the singers and gatekeepers and the temple servants. Now, this is important. It wasn't just Ezra about whom the book was named, but it was several other people. There were priests, there were Levites, there were gatekeepers, there were singers, there were all types of people. And remember, this was 73 or actually 79 years after they had made their first return trip from Babylon to the land of Israel, okay? There were already a group of original exiles that had returned and were rebuilding a life of worship. And under the leadership of people like Jeshua, the priest, or Zerubbabel, the governor, or as we talked about last week, Haggai and Zechariah, the prophets, worship was being established and worship was increasing in that place. But the point is, is that to actually see God bring to fulfillment all that he wants to bring to fulfillment in a land, in a city, in a nation, in the nations, it's going to take more than one or two superstars. It's going to take the people of God coming together as the body of Christ, every part doing its work to see the glory of God extend throughout the earth in every season just as he intended it to be. So this is 79 years after the original return from Babylon to Israel, rebuilding a life of worship. And Haggai and Zechariah, Zerubbabel, Jeshua, and all the others were faithfully rebuilding a life of worship in that place. But it wasn't enough that over those 79 years, they did their task. Seasons change, transitions happen, and then people go the way of all the earth. Eventually, people die, right? Anybody have a loved one who literally helped you form and develop in the Lord who went on to be with Jesus recently? Anybody at all or in the recent past? 
Okay, I did this past year. I talked about my grandmother who literally helped lay foundations for me in the faith. And though she helped pray me into the kingdom, she's gone now. But guess what? The work of God continues even though the seasons change. And in her season, she did all that she could to build the kingdom of God. And that was a lesson that my mom taught me, though she wasn't a Christian. She taught me the lesson, whatever season you find yourself in, do it to the utmost of your ability. YOLO, make the most of it. You only live once and actually build your, um, something with your life. And in our context, it's build the kingdom of God, whatever season you find yourself in. I love talking to Greg or Assad, who actually talk to me about stories of even their grandparents or people who've gone before them. They are part of the beginning of this church. This church is five years old now. Isn't that great? Five years old now, meaning that we're not going anywhere. And the thing about it is God's continuing to save lives, build people into his kingdom, baptize people, see people filled with his Holy Spirit. And they have been an instrumental part of that. But before they were on the scene, back in another state, their grandparents were doing the same, helping to build churches, helping to build the kingdom and the seasons that they had. And now the charge is, this is our season. This is our season to build the church. You are no longer the church of tomorrow. You are the church of today. And anything that God is going to do for his kingdom in this hour, in this city, in the earth, is going to come through our hands, not someone else's. Everybody's always waiting for someone to come behind them or someone else to rise up to get the work done. But God's like, I've appointed you for this time and this place, for this city, for this ministry to accomplish my purposes in the earth. And that's what Ezra had to come to. He had to say, I thank God for these past 79 years for the faithful men and women who've gone before me. I thank God for Zechariah. I thank God for Haggai. I thank God, right, for Zerubbabel and Yeshua who helped establish the foundation of everything that I'm now coming into. And isn't that the benefit of the kingdom of God? You're never in going in cold call, cold calling or dry. There's always somebody who's gone before you. Since Jesus Christ walked the earth, there is somebody who's gone before you and helped establish a foundation on which you can build. Good news, right? Has anyone ever worked sales before? Has anyone ever had to make cold calls and immediately got your feelings hurt? Because they weren't trying to make friends, okay? The point is, is that that's not the kingdom, God is always the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so he's saying, anything I'm calling you into, I'm already there. I've already been building long before you've shown up. Now step into my grace. Step into my grace and make the most of the season that I have for you. Ezra did this, and what we saw is, as I said, they first started with the building of the altars for offering sacrifices. What does that mean for us? We all need to, in our hearts, posture ourselves in such a way that we are literally offering our lives as a living sacrifice unto God. That's what Romans talks about, right? My entire life is to be a sacrifice unto God, that when God looks at me, when God reflects on me, when God even gets a scent of like what my life is producing, it's a pleasing aroma to him, right? Anybody ever, come on, mamas, anybody ever have kids and didn't always 
have a pleasing aroma come from your child's room, right? They hadn't cleaned it in a while, and it was sort of like, what is that? You know, and it was sort of like, you needed to make it holy, right? Sanctify it, set it apart. But the point is, is that God does that in our life, and he wants it to perpetually be a pleasing aroma to him. We start with the building of the altars and the sacrifices. Then they erected the temple, a place where they could come and gather because worship is never meant to be done on your own. There is no such thing that God ordains as private spirituality. You do not have the right to just worship God the way you want to, when you want to, whenever you want to. It's basically God says, here is what I like, do it. Obey my commands. I like to be worshipped with my people. With my people, not just in a solitary manner. He says the body of Christ, he says more pleasing are the tents of Jacob than all the households of Israel right? Meaning what? He's saying, listen, I love it when my people come together. I love family reunions. I love it when my people aren't forsaking the gathering of the brethren, but instead are devoting themselves to daily encouraging one another and all the more as they see the day of Christ and his return approaching. So you build the temple, but then finally you teach the law. You teach the law. That's what Ezra did. He taught the law so that in that season, the Israelites in that time could worship God in an acceptable manner. They taught him his commands. They taught him the things to be obeyed. Again, I keep referring to this throughout our series, the Purple Book Challenge. If you do not have a Purple Book, if you've not done the Purple Book, if you don't have the Bible study, if you're a guest today, that is a gift to you. It is just a Bible study for your devotional so that you can get into the foundations of the Word of God and not just not just know it yourself, but then eventually have the ability to teach others. Because that's one of the things that my mom told me too, in terms of you only live once, but eventually you're going to age. And eventually you're going to not live in my house, right? It's sort of like, eventually you're going to go on your own and it won't just be about you feeding on what I set before you. It'll be about you providing for your own household. Anybody say amen to that? Okay, come on, mature Christians. It's like eventually it's not just us taking all the time, but it's us giving too. Isn't that what Hebrews says? He says, though at this time you ought to be teachers, many of you need us to teach you the elementary truths of the faith all over again. And if that's the case, so be it. Great. But get taught the elementary truths of the faith so that you can in fact mature and in fact begin to teach what? Teach the word of God just as Ezra did. He said, if worship is going to continue, it has got to be based on the word and not just our premonitions, not just our leanings, not just what we go back and forth to. We cannot go on sinning when we have the word of God living in our hearts. Amen. He says, this word of God, I want it found in my heart. God, I've hidden your word in my heart so that what? I might not sin against you. And whenever John the apostle was talking to young men, he said, listen, young men, you are strong. I'm telling you. He was talking like a father to his spiritual children. And he says, you are strong. And the word of God lives in you. And because of it, you overcome the evil one. It's not just about you going through the motions and being forgiven for the same thing day after day after day. Eventually, there's a place of maturity where the word of God is taught to you, you imbibe on it, you feed on it, and you actually overcome the evil one. And he's saying, listen, seasons of life are this. Learn his word, learn to use it, learn to teach it. Learn to... 
Learn to give it out just as you've received it. He said, freely you've received from Jesus, now freely give, right? That's what your mom would teach you. Isn't that true? Eventually, it's like, hey, listen, you get a job. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> right? It's eventually like, listen, everybody takes, takes, takes when you're living at your parents' house, you know what I mean? And it's like, okay, well, it's all free, I guess. No, it's not. Not to them. <laughs> it might be free to you in the moment, but then eventually they're like, listen, you work. <laughs> and if you want something, you pay for it. I, I know very clearly when my kids really want something or not. They have their own little dog walking business now. That's a good business in Chicago. If you never, if you can't find a job, start walking dogs. Okay, the thing is, they have their own dog walking business. But we went to Target the other day, and they asked me for something, and I was like, well, "I mean, I love you, but <laughs> you've got a job, <laughs> you know." And, and I said, "Do you want to use your money for that?" And for my younger two who don't have a job, they get gifts from their grandparents sometimes. And I'm like, do you want to use the money that your grandmother sent you? They're like, no, not that money. And I'm like, oh, I see. You wanted to use my money, you know, but you didn't want to contribute your own, right? And I realized in that moment, they didn't really want what they were asking for because they weren't really willing to spend their own sweat, their own blood, their own tears, right? And God's like, in every season, eventually, you're going to need to rise up and start contributing to the family business. You're going to need to mature in such a way that you not only feed on the word, but you're able to teach it to others. That's why we have tools for you. My mom taught me that. But not only did uh, my mom teach me that, she also said, listen, Rowan, there's always a place for you at the table because, listen, my mom was one of those moms who, like, continually stroked me. You know what I mean? Ego-wise. Anybody have a mom like that? Continue. And uh, listen, it was good for me and also bad because I got a big head. Listen, the thing is, you ever have, like, a little stroke and she's like, oh, baby, I love you. Baby, you're going to be president. You know, baby. <laughs> like, and I was like, okay. <laughs> you know? But this is the thing. What I had to learn, you know, from my mother as well is that, that it wasn't just about seasons changing and making the most of every season, but it was also about the fact that I had a gift that needed to be employed. And in the kingdom of God, part of the reason you can take advantage and make the most of every season is that everybody's got a gift. Everybody has got a gift that God wants to use for the building of his kingdom. In Ezra's case, he was a teacher. In Ezra's case, he was a teacher. And that's the beauty of it. Some of you say, well, I may not be a teacher. Well, that's okay. You still might be a singer, right? And that who also went with Ezra back to Jerusalem to rebuild those walls, right? Or I might not be a singer. Anybody ever sing privately, but you would never do so? Open your mouth publicly. Anybody else with me? Okay. So it's sort of like, I, I don't mind. I make a joyful noise. Listen, the thing is, is that there were only, not only gatekeepers, singers, but there were gatekeepers. There were not only gatekeepers, there were Levites who were arranging the affairs of the house of the Lord. There were every, everybody in every place had a gift that they were meant to contribute. And what Proverbs 18 verse 16 says is that a man's or a woman's gift makes room for him and brings him before the great. When we worship, what we're doing is we're trying to get to a place where we're saying part of my worship is utilizing the first identity 
identifying and then using the gift God has given me to build his house and build worship. Ralph Waldo Emerson, if you're a little bit poetic, he actually said this. I don't think he was talking about God, but it actually rings true anyway. He said, rings and jewels are actually not gifts. Anybody read Emerson? Amen. Okay, that's fine. Okay. <laughs> cool. Like I graduated. All right, so I don't got to do that anymore. Okay, so listen. Rings and jewels are not gifts, but apologies for gifts. The only gift is a portion of thyself. Thou must bleed for me. Therefore, the poet brings his poem, the shepherd his lamb, the farmer corn, the miner a stone, the painter his picture, the girl a handkerchief, or her own sewing. What he's saying is that the things that we could just buy or purchase, those are usually the easy things, right? I, I, not, like even when I, <laughs> when I uh, you know, come to Mother's Day and like if I... <sighs> I need to, my wife appreciates planning in advance for gifts. That's where the importance comes from, right? The effort in advance. If I'm like going out the night before, even if it's a gift, right? She's like, don't bother. <laughs> don't even, don't even. You know what I mean? Because why? Where am I going to end up? 7-Eleven, right? <laughs> so like, it's like, those last minute gifts, <laughs> they just don't come. 7 Eleven's always open. But the point is, God's saying in the same way, right? I want something that's a gift that takes a little bit of advanced thought, advanced prayer, advanced planning, advanced purposing, right? He said, the thing that's actually a gift to me is you, just as I'm the greatest gift that you will ever have, right? God gives spiritual gifts and we thank Him for them. God gives provision. We thank him for him. But the greatest gift that you will ever have is God himself. Is God himself. God saying, I'm your portion in the land of the living, right? And here's the thing. In the same way, what's the greatest gift that you can give God? Okay, you. <laughs> Yourself, your heart. But also the efforts that you make which flow out of your heart. He says, listen, you have a gift and there will always be room for you at the table. Paul had to exhort his young disciple Timothy in this manner. If you would turn to 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Obviously, we know that Ephesians and Ephesians, Paul, when he was giving his treaties on the church, he says, listen, when we're speaking the truth in love, we're going to grow up in every way into him, meaning Jesus, who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament with, each, <clears throat> with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body of Christ grow as each part does its work. Okay, I'll repeat that in layman's terms. It says the body of Christ grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. Not as some people, but as each part. Everybody's got to guess. If each part does its work, that's how the body of Christ grows and builds itself up in love. Now, Timothy, obviously, was sort of a cohort of the Apostle Paul and in building lives of worship in the pagan world. At the time, he was going from city to city, starting churches and saying, where previously this city and this people did not know God, we're preaching the good word of God. We're preaching his gospel. People are turning to Christ. People are being baptized, filled with the Holy Spirit, released in their gifts. Churches are being established. And if you were a cohort roaming around with Paul at the time, right, you'd have been like, oh, Paul's a man, right? And here's the thing. In the Spirit, God used him mightily, right? But then all of a sudden he looked at his young disciple Timothy and he said, listen, you've got a part to play too. It's not just me, it's you. Because guess what? I'm about to get... What? 
my head chopped off by Nero. You've got to continue on. The meaning that was literally what happened to him. I'm just making stuff up. Okay, so he's, he's martyred. And he said, listen, you've got to continue in the seasons that change. You've got to continue in the things of God. I'm going to go the way of all the earth. And what's going to happen to the kingdom when I'm gone? You're going to take it on. You're going to use the gift that I've imparted to you. And this is what Paul was saying to Timothy. It was a lesson that he could have learned from his own mother. He said, I thank God whom I serve in writing this letter to Timothy, as did my ancestors with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers day and night, or night and day. (coughs) As I remember your tears, your tears. See, that's where it starts, right? In a place of prayer, right? As I remember your tears, it's like, man, I'm, I'm, it doesn't matter where I am in the, where I am on the scene, where I am in the game, you know I mean? where I am in this kingdom building, my heart's in it too. And he says, as I remember your tears for the people and the kingdom, it's like my heart. I remember that you're fully invested, Timothy. He says, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. He said, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother. Love it. Come on, Mama's Day. That's probably my mom now. Okay, so he said, first, first in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, right? First in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice. So it matters what you're teaching at home, right? If you never even have a ministry outside of the home, it matters what you're teaching in your home. It matters how you're investing in the next generation in your home. Why? Because they produce people like Timothy. He says, and I'm sure it dwells now in you as well. For this reason, I remind you, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. He says, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God, who, and here's the gospel, who saved us and called us to a holy calling, being set apart, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle and a teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. Not what I believe, but whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. And so he's saying, listen, I'm giving you a picture of the kingdom. He was writing this letter when he was on his way out. He says, listen, son, seasons are changing. (laughs) Seasons are changing. Seasons are changing. I've been with you. We've been doing a great thing together. I'm about to go. And he says, listen, 
in the midst of that, I'm charging you. <laughs> Use your gift and continue the work. What we set as a foundation for building this temple, I'm charging you, Jesus is still alive. Jesus is still the same. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Jesus wants to extend his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And it's going to become a reality in your time as you use your gift that he's given you. What is the charge that a mother would give? Fan it in the flame. Steward it. Don't take it for granted. It's been entrusted to you. Now develop it and use it as a sacrifice for kingdom purposes. Are you a gatekeeper? Are you a Levite? Remember we talked many weeks ago about the fact that we're all a holy priesthood now unto the Lord. That's why I'm talking in these terms. Are you one of the singers? Are you a teacher of the law, right? The word. Whatever it is that you find, he's entrusted to you. He says, fan in the flame. Meaning you need to practice your art. <laughs> so that the same end goal might be achieved as what the, those who went before you started to initiate. It doesn't end when transitions come. And matter of fact, when you go to a new place, here's the charge for you. There's room for you there. There's room for you there. He's already prepared a table for you. Some of you are going to a new place as you graduate. And God's saying, in my sovereignty, I'm preparing a table for you there. There's room for you there at the table. There are relationships. There's service to be done. There's a kingdom to advance in that place. The work doesn't stop just because you're moving on. He says, fan into flame your gift there. When Ezra came on the scene... It was a time of transition. The work had already been going on for many years, 79 in fact. And by that time, some of the original people who'd come back went on to probably be with the Lord. But then it was Ezra's turn. It was Ezra's turn to rise up, take the mantle, and use the gift God had given him. Why? Because the altars had been rebuilt, the temple had been established, and now it was time to teach that law so that the Israelites could grow in their life of worship and devotion to God. Every season counts, even seasons of transition. Don't waste it. Just like Mama said, there's room for you at the table. Use your gift, and God will be glorified. Amen? All right, worship team, let's come on back.